You're listening to the North Peace Roundtable Podcast, your weekly podcast about theology and Christian life. I added a little pause. I know, I noticed that. that. Episode 116, I believe. Wow. And uh, my name is Andrew. With me, as always, Corland. Hello, hello. And Cameron. Good morning, everyone. And uh, this is a lot better than me sitting here last week by myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> I right. recorded a uh, just a solo episode. Did you? All by myself. <laughs> no, I had a a few questions that people asked me that I was like, oh, I can just do those by myself. But this is way better mm-hmm. seeing you guys here. Oh, it's great. How's your week been? It's Me- been mediocre at best. Okay. Yeah. Give me a life update. Yeah, mediocre life update at that, right? That's what we're doing now? Something uh Oh, I guess it's not really mediocre. We bought a different vehicle, and within a thousand kilometers of owning it, we absolutely got the windshield shattered by a massive boulder. That wait, really? Yeah. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah, <laughs> like shattered. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That sucks. <laughs> so such is life. You have you gotten it fixed yet? No, not yet. You're just driving just, around with my wife is driving. Oh, around. oh well, that's fine. Ace Ventura style. <laughs> yes. Out the window. Out no, the window. luckily it's not in the line of vision, so she can still drive. If okay. she gets pulled over, the cop might not be super happy about it. But I mean, we have the appointment to fix it already. So sweet. How about you, Cameron? How's your? Yeah, it's been pretty good. Uh, we took the kids and family to Edmonton over the weekend for the long weekend. Spent some time with the family, and that was good. Checking in on. My dad. Yep, right. So uh, we're trying to make the most out of his many Yeah, it's long. always hard to ask, like, hey, how was your trip? You're like, good. My yeah. dad's really sick. It's like, yeah, oh. it was. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it was interesting, actually. And then, uh, you know, my son, Sasha, actually, he asked some really thoughtful questions, and it's kind of wild. He's reading a book um, just the other day, and he said, so, Dad, they put people in the ground after they die? Okay. And I'm like, sometimes. And I don't. I wasn't thinking. And I'm like, sometimes they also cremate them. What's that? I'm like, well, they they burn them. And so Sasha says, well, they won't do that to Grandpa, right? I'm like, actually, that's what Grandpa would want. And he looks at me. He cries for like a minute and a half. Oh wow! And then he goes back to reading his book and doesn't say a thing after that. And so I chatted with him a little yeah, bit later. But yeah. I think, although mm. it's incredibly hard for them, it's really interesting watching uh, them process person. stuff. Yeah, process real life and, and we're not the i'm not the type of parent that sugarcoats a lot of things I, yep. I i think i just have real conversations with them to a degree of course uh not trying to traumatize them. yeah <laughs> yeah but uh yeah it was it was good so he had a fun weekend with his humor of making fun of my dad's balding head like he, every time he walked by he'd rub the top of his head like, <laughs> That was pretty. That was pretty funny, and oh, my dad said, uh, "You know, obviously accepting all of that." And yeah, it's just pretty funny to watch. Yeah, yeah, nothing new with me. Um, we moved the uh, trampoline underneath the treehouse, so my kids have been can break a leg enjoying jumping out. And uh, now the game is like, how much higher can I climb in the tree to then <laughs> jump out? And my wife is not very happy with that, but I'm like. You can go higher. They got to learn. You can go higher. I bet you can go higher. Come on. Do it, Ruby. <laughs> so, yeah, just 
I don't know. Nothing. Next week's update will include broken yeah, bones. Yeah, she's uh, she broke her leg, yeah. and uh, <laughs> well, it's like if it's wet, you can't do it because right, I'm safe, so don't <clears throat> jump on the trampoline off the ten oh, foot treehouse if the trampoline's wet. Sure. So and you have those spring covers in the net anyway. The <laughs> yeah, totally. I totally have all the safety gear. That's right. <laughs> I'm just waiting for a, a bad bounce and then yep. landing on the It'll ground. Happen. But whatever, it teaches them. Almost every kid had that happen. So yeah. So uh, episode one sixteen today we are going to talk about racial reconciliation. So let me give a little background for the reason for this episode one is truth and reconciliation day was saturday correct Mm -hmm. uh and then the stat was actually monday so that just happened and it was interesting um talking with my kids a little bit about that about the like school assembly and you know orange shirt day and then even actually yesterday someone asked me uh just meeting in my office you know what how, how did he word it? You know, what's, what's the, how does the church feel? What's the church's response to truth and reconciliation day? And I went, Oh, interesting. I haven't really, mm-hmm. I haven't really thought that deeply about it. And then actually a few weeks ago, oh man, almost a month ago now, um, in a sermon talking a little bit about the religion of secularism and our society in a, in a kind of a, it wasn't the main point, but saying that, you know, uh, secularism has its creeds and its chants. Uh, yeah, the things that we say and we recite and, you yeah. know, love is love <clears throat> and trans rights are human rights. And then I said, you know, Black Lives Matter and just kind of moved on. Mm-hmm. But saying, like, if you disagree with the, the chants and the statements, then you are canceled and blah, 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 blah. And so I had a, an email a few days later just asking, okay, why, why did you include... Black Lives Matter in that should shouldn't the church care about black people? Essentially, sure. was yeah. I'm, I'm I'm condensing a really long email, yeah. But saying like, shouldn't we care about police brutality and George Floyd and all the things that took place and you know um, systemic racism in the United States and and stuff like that? And then uh, just was it this Sunday or last Sunday? Someone else came up to me after a service and said, I just have a question about a few weeks ago. Same kind of thing, you know, the Black Lives Matter. Is that, shouldn't we as a church be behind that? And blah, 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 blah. So uh, we want to talk about, I guess, um, how do we as Christians and the church engage with culture around that? Um, Do we like just fully dive in? Do we have hesitations about how the world is trying to solve racism and you know inequality um is there a better way does the bible talk about i mean it's like it's a huge topic so i don't know where (laughs) where we want to (laughs) start so maybe i'll give you what i told the person back about my hesitation with black lives matter and i feel like that's a good place that whole movement so i said the problem is if you would ask me do black lives matter i would say totally of course uh doesn't matter what color your skin is. Uh, every human being is made in the image of God and has dignity and worth. Absolutely. We should, you know, care about black people, Asian people, uh, indigenous people, everybody, like totally. And so if we see uh, injustice and like racism is a sin, it's evil. Uh, so yes, but I said, the problem is 
the Black Lives Ladder Ladder. Nope. Black Lives Matter organization, uh, I think is evil at the root because you look at their website and you look at the things that they want to do. Uh, one of the things that they've now taken down from their website because of backlash uh, was we want to dismantle the nuclear family. We hate mom, dad, and kids. We want to get rid of that. So I'm like, well, I have issues with that. Mm -hmm. uh, two, it was like, um, well, that's a loud alarm. Uh, two was like, uh, still on their website is their big goal is we need to completely defund the police, get rid of police, which yeah. I'm like, I think as someone who cares about law and justice and order, I don't think the solution is just get rid of all police officers and def defund. You look at cities that have tried that and it's gone terrible. It's like, it's just led to anarchy and, yeah. um, and black lives matter is kind of like linked arm in arm with the whole gender ideology and LGBTQ stuff, which, uh, I don't know, as a Christian, I wrestle with that. So I said, it's hard because that organization has picked a name that you can't disagree with. Cause sure. as soon as you're like, I don't agree with that. Oh, then you're a racist. And I'm like, well, so it's hard. I so I tried to explain like the idea of, you know, justice for everyone, totally. And respect and dignity and worth for every human being, totally. Uh, but I can't get behind a movement that's like, we just want to like, you know, riot and terrorize and and get rid of all law and justice and police officers and and we hate the nuclear family and yeah, anyways, that was kind of my response. So yeah. I don't know. What do you like I think the challenge is that <clears throat> most folks have no idea yes, or true. care to get that far into a movement. Uh, on the surface level, it makes a lot of sense that we would join arm in arm with any organization that was trying to uh, highlight a cause. Sure. A cause that is quite worthy. And I think of all of the kind of, uh, it's it's really sad, but all of the, the positions of all lives matter as a counter to, sure. to that idea of, of Black Lives Matter. And there's a lot of really good work done on the fact that, you know, you know, to highlight, and it's been said all throughout social media, but to highlight one cause or one injustice is not saying the others are of less value or sure. less important. It is simply the, the, the attention given or needed in a, in a particular time and place mm -hmm. so that, that it's a focus, which I don't believe is inherently wrong at all. I think that that is the, the undergirding of any kind of movement or, or, or position, whether the, the church is involved or, or society in general. And it's not wrong. And I, and, I really get discouraged when I see often Christians countering with, well, wait a minute, everyone matters. And I was reflecting on that, hmm. thinking of <clears throat> early first century Jews uh, and their idea of accepting Gentiles and, and that thought of like, wait a minute, all, all, all lives don't matter. We're yeah. the most important. Yeah. We're chosen. And like how the whole first half of the New Testament is talking about inclusivity and, and actually that all. And then the idea of accepting the injustices of another people would have been so difficult for, for early Christ followers. Totally. And it seems like that hasn't changed. Like it's still really difficult for Christ followers today to accept that the oppression or needs or, 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 or injustices of another people group, if they don't follow Christ matter. Hmm. That, that was just something I was reflecting on yesterday in preparation, just wrapped my mind around where this conversation may go today. Mm -hmm. And I think that, 
we haven't changed much from the the first Christians accepting Gentiles. And you spoke a couple of weeks ago on, uh, you, you know, in the Messy Church series in Corinthians, how, you know, Paul makes very specific, uh, intentional um, efforts to, to reach uh, into mm-hmm. culture and to reach into, uh, at that point, other belief systems to, like, bring the gospel in a way that made sense to them. Mm-hmm. And it seems that those early Christ followers really struggle with that. And I'm convinced it's, it's not changed. We really struggle with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I'm glad you brought that up and Corlin, do you have anything to say before I go? Uh, you look like you were about to say something. <laughs> yeah. I interrupted you. I, I think when it comes to topics like these, where, where my initial hesitation comes is, uh, the manner in which they are trying to solve the problems. It's not sure. to, like, like you said, to, to look out at the injustices that have been done to different people groups over time and to be like, meh, it's like, well, no, like there's like, even <clears throat> if anyone gets any kind of counseling, you will look into your past to see how injustices have changed who you are and how you want to live your life after those things have happened. Sure. Yeah. So I don't think it's wrong to look <clears throat> into the past and to, to see these things. I think from to, to me, what happens is culture, um, scripture talks about a person being grounded and walking and following the lamb, following Jesus, being grounded in that. And culture loves to swing back and forth and back and forth on which issues matter the most, always trying to chase the things that have hurt us or, or the wrongs that have been done to us. And so I think as a Christian, what we often notice then is that as we're trying to follow the lamb, it's like there's herds of buffalo walking over top of us back and forth and back and forth. And it can feel like, well, why don't I just, why don't I just follow that? Yeah. But it's a fleeting thing. Cause even if you think of the black lives matter organization or the movement, it's way less talked about now than it was immediately after George Floyd. There's other issues that have come up that people are like, Hey, that's important too. And so if as Christians, you're just trying to stay on that train of jumping back and forth, you're always going to be grasping it at these things. Whereas I think, uh, we were talking about different stuff in youth, but I think it applies. Uh, James chapter three says, but the wisdom from above is first of all, pure. It is also peace loving and gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will always plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Hmm. Righteousness is, is uh, like the way we summed it up at youth is righteousness is living in a way that is following what Jesus said is the most important commandment. And that Mm -hmm. is, that is to love the Lord, your God and to love others. And so if you're walking, following Jesus, as you interact with the people around you, you're going to be able to interact with those situations without just hopping on bandwagons to try and solve an individual issue. And then next month have to feel like you have to solve another issue, but you can walk through life confidently in those things. I'm challenged though with that because I think it just allows for Christians to sit at home in their prayer closet in their individual relationship and maybe not focus on engaging because to love God and love others. I mean, to defend the widow, to fight for the orphan, to, to fight for injustice. I'm actually, I would lean more towards engage, but engage responsibly in a way that doesn't yeah. cause sin in the and, sense of, but it might be like, I'm going to go to that protest about injustice where someone and then their family was, you know, we have a, a person in our church who had a, 
a showing outside of a courthouse because of a, a terrible injustice in the family yeah. and they wanted to make a position and, and I wouldn't I wouldn't see Christians going to that as like not wavering. Yeah, and that's not what I'm saying, but, right? I what I'm saying is is uh I think what I'm trying to say is that we often try to fix outward issues instead of fixing our own and having that reflect outwardly. So what I mean is if you're dealing with sin in your own life, you're going to walk peaceably. That means that when you see injustice, you're going to act on those things. Um, Instead of always pointing outwardly and saying, these are the issues to look inside and say, Hey, you know, this is something I can do to honor God. Maybe that is standing up for the widow or orphan or going and, and standing at a protest for somebody who injustice was done to them. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things. I'm not saying that we should stand idly by and say, well, I'm following Jesus. I don't get yeah. mixed up in this. Well, no, as a follower of Jesus and, and with how he's asked us to live in the world and not be of it, I think we, we are mixed mm-hmm. into it. But it, I yeah. think how we act while we're mixed into it is different than, mm-hmm. than the rest of the world. Yeah, that's... <clears throat> and we'll get to... I wanted to read Ephesians 2 a little bit because Paul... I mean, like you said, it's not a new issue. Like the, the early church dealt with this exact thing of racial differences. and But I get what you're saying, Corlin, is like... Um, so, for instance, yeah, Truth and Reconciliation Day. Uh, I know that there are people who are like, well that's dumb and just get over it and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, I think that's a terrible attitude to have. And I think it's actually good that we, um, like you said, we need to hear stories of what happened Mm -hmm. and learn from things that happened in the past. And our kids went to the uh, assembly on Friday. And I told the guys before we started, Ruby clearly was not listening because like, her takeaway was, I think they used to just shoot all the native people. I'm like, no, right. Ruby, I don't think you were listening, yeah. but like we just, and at home on Saturday, we engaged with, well, what did you guys talk about? And yeah, you're right. Like, yeah, some of the stuff that took place at residential schools was awful, terrible. And we talk about it like it's history, but like I'm less than 40 and my mom was there till grade yes, four. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And my grandparents. And so <clears throat> I would like to maybe not at this moment, but take a couple of moments to talk about why just, yeah. Well, even now, like I I had a guy from the church reach out this week with a real sincere and honest question, just saying, Hey man, my company made me sit through this session all day on truth and reconciliation. And I just, I don't know how to feel about it. I have some thoughts. I feel like, you know, what does it have to do with me? I just want to get my work done. Fair enough. And and we have a relationship where it wasn't like an odd question. He knows uh, that I'm obviously indigenous and that I, uh, he, he actually knows I spent some time in that space. And, and so we met and it was really neat because he works in the oil and gas industry as a, as a contractor to a degree, uh, preparing land. And he just said like, what, where did it come from? And it's quite interesting. And I'll give you like a Canadian history lesson about one minute. Okay. Um, you know, first, settlers in Canada did not come here and terrorize and, 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 and take over. Um, first settlers arrived and, and found new inhabitants and actually coexisted for, I think it was just under 200 years. There hmm. were peace and friendship treaties starting in the far east of Canada that worked its way to, to about the Hudson's Bay. Hmm. Treaty 1 is the first numbered treaty in Canada, right. which is uh, where I'm from. But these peace and friendship treaties existed until... And, well, you know, the colonizers 
they came, they brought goods, the indigenous inhabitants helped them get through winter, they yep. figured life out together. It wasn't until uh, King of England, Henry Fourth or Fifth or whoever, wanted to monetize and monopolize this mm -hmm. newfound land. How do we bring people over? <clears throat> and so there was a really interesting seminar I sat through in seminary where it was actually the, um, like, an, an accountant essentially showing, like, court records of Canada being sold. Wow. But to who? <laughs> well, to, to England, but then where would the money go? It didn't go anywhere, but they couldn't sell it because there was a statute that says you can't just find land and sell it unless you can determine that it's not being used for civil gain, civility. Yeah. So that's a problem because this, this land wasn't empty and that was never, that was never argued. It was never that, Oh, we found it and no one's there. Yeah. The position was we found it and the people are here are not civil. Well, what is civil? We have to mm. determine a baseline for what that is. And that would be our way of life and our way of doing things. Yep. Well, then how do we transcend that? How do we put that onto this newfound people? Well, we're going to have to educate them in our ways. Mm -hmm. Well, the government doesn't have the means to do that, so they conscript the church. Mm -hmm. Not just the Catholic church, mm -hmm. many churches. Mm -hmm. The MB church was involved. The Salvation Army as a church was originally listed as a contributing member of that original process for yep. residential schools. Yep. I think at their heart... And I know for a fact, it's called essentially the doctrine of discovery, and that's part of the uh, yep. truth and reconciliation for churches to denounce that fact. And really it was, we discovered this people and we're going to help civilize them. Hmm. And so the, the basis of these schools were essentially go and be civil and then come and join society. Uh, my great-grandfather chose not to go, so he was given an option. That's kind of how reserve lands became so... Fort St. John has a really interesting history where the original gathering was near Northern Lights College. Okay. And now the reserve is like Doig. Yeah. Moberly, you know, halfway. So they were essentially moved just like my hometown. Like I was born on the original reserve of my great grandfather, except that the government came to his door. It's funny. Their, their names are John and Jane Bear. They were given Christian names by the Anglican church at that time. And they said, you leave 174 kilometers north to the, reserve that we assigned for you or you denounce your identity hmm. so they did to stay because they had a nice property they, right on the they river. Denounced. Renounced. okay yeah well no they, they just chose not to leave yeah and so my grandfather was shipped to residential school uh, in saskatchewan like 450 kilometers away from home he was probably grade four or five years old hmm. getting into school and so then it wasn't until 1987 <laughs> that the conservative government said oops we shouldn't have taken away this identity from you so i was already born uh when uh they wrote letters to all of our family saying i'm sorry that we yeah. didn't call you indigenous anymore but anyway that's kind of like kind of a quick recap but then so the church's involvement is often uh labeled as evil and i don't intrinsically believe that at first it was sure. i believe that the problem with the early church in its relation to canada is that the soul is more important than the body. And we see that throughout history where totally our mission is to rescue your soul. And, um, the, there's famous sayings from, from, I want to say John A. McDonald and others that it's like, kill the Indian, save the child. Mm -hmm. Like that child is a valuable person, but the Indian shell must be killed. Hmm. And that's our Canadian history. So very, very problematic. And so in my conversation with this person, I'm like, you're on land that was traded. And part of the issue with the trade is that 
you know, for Doig River is a great example. They're buying land now because your government, when they made that treaty with or that deal with them, said we will give you a square mile for every person in your tribe okay. of land. But persons were only men. The women and children all around you are like dogs. They don't count. So when reconciliation happened, they looked at them and said, how many people were there when we made this terrible deal with you? And we're going to give you the balance and value of land. Yeah. So with that balance, they can't just come back to Northern Lakes College and say, hey, this was ours. We're going to take it back, which is what a lot of people in the church think is happening right now. We're going to come and take back what's ours. There are some, like any group, that argue that. Sure. It's not going to happen. What they do is they take that value and they can buy retail land, which yeah. is what they're doing. So kind of a super quick glimpse into, and for this guy, it was like, it's kind of neat that you n- need to learn that. Although I have other thoughts of a corporate checkbox now that we've done our reconciliation yeah, sure, thing. Yeah, yeah. But for him, it was like, you are working on land that could be problematic for folks looking down the road saying like, that was our home. Mm-hmm. Because right now we're all kind of focused on the fact that it's history. I wasn't there. I have nothing to do with it. It's like, well, that's not true. Mm. And sorry, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but a reflection I had on that just this past week was like, it's interesting how Christians struggle with that so much. Like I wasn't there. It's not my fault. Yet our entire core of our faith is that we are inherently sinners and we owe you know, we, we, we satisfy God through our acknowledgement of our sinfulness, although original sin and, and often what we may feel is not is ours is not. And so it's kind of interesting. Like it's a it's a bit of a stretch for a parallel. But I was just thinking about how are we so OK as Christians realizing that we need repentance for original sin, although we feel no attachment to some original sin that happened on the land that we live and prosper and thrive on. Mm-hmm. We feel no attachment to like we can just go scot-free because we weren't there. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Like uh, Jeremiah talks about the fact that, uh, and I'm, I should have looked this up, but he says that like uh, you as children are not held responsible for your father's sin. So I get that part sure. of it. But you can go you can go too far where it's like I don't need to learn about any of this because I wasn't there. It's not my problem. It's like, well, no, I think, you know, am I guilty personally of residential schools? And I think you can say, well, me personally, like mm-hmm. I was one years old or whatever. Sure. And I think biblically you would say I'm not I'm not when my dad sinned in his past, I'm not held responsible for that. And yet, I think you're right. You can go too far and be like, ergo, mm-hmm. I don't care about any of it. It's like, right. well, <laughs> so I, I it's, it's like, kinda, this, it's, it's kind of wild. It's like if your dad murdered the man and lived in his home and now you live in the home. Yeah. Your dad, <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, you didn't, you didn't steal the home, but you might want to acknowledge that. Sure. And so, so now, what, what and, I'm more saying is yeah. the Bible says like, you are not guilty before God right. of that. And yet I, I get what you're saying. Totally. Um, it's interesting, like the, the, the truth and reconciliation stuff. Um, I've actually never really s- struggled with that going like, it's wrong and who cares? And it's interesting, like when I, Black Lives Matter, it feels like it's more of a U.S. thing and truth mm-hmm. and reconciliation is more of a Canadian thing. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's, there's bleed over. Sure. But when you look at, and I talked with someone about this, like 
when you look at critical race theory and intersectionality and all these things that are being taught in the school, I struggle with those things because what's being taught is, I think, the opposite of the gospel, which is just kind of like, you know, every single human being is inherently racist. Um, that's a, a part mm. of in, of critical race theory. Um, and I just struggle with that. Like, I think about my own kids, like Lucy's, her best friend at her school is uh, a black girl and critical race theory would say, well, inherently Lucy is racist. And so she needs to deal with her racism. And I'm, and I'm like, Lucy doesn't even consider the fact that her friend Sarah is black. It's just, she's my friend. Mm -hmm. And then I think of like Ruby, uh, one of her really good friends is um, uh, Korean. And yet critical race theory and what's being taught in the college levels is, well, inherently there's a power balance. And because Ruby is white, she is inherently racist towards that. And I'm like, they don't even think about that. Like mm -hmm. you're actually producing in my opinion more racism because all we're supposed to think about is power structures and okay i'm racist towards you and i'm racist so i to get to the bib the in in ephesians 2 paul talks about this because like you said like the the jewish gentile thing like we look at that and we go oh yeah they didn't like each other but it was like incredibly tense racist mm -hmm. if i'm if i can just use the term like i'm talking like you know uh uh, Gentiles couldn't come into certain areas of the temple. If you're not Jewish, I can't eat with you. I'm, I as a Jew can't go into your house. It actually made me think of like this restaurant's whites only. Like it's, it's that bad. It was yeah. like, I am now, I am now dirty because of you, because they you did it worse. Like even Samaritans, like, Oh yeah. yeah. They put them in the same box. Yeah. But it's like, they're kind of your own also too, with a different flavor. Oh, it was even, it yeah. was, you're like a half breed. Like it was awful. Like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. so then Paul talks about this in Ephesians two. And he says like, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, um, <laughs> you Gentiles, uh, <laughs> called the uncircumcised, uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of province, uh, promise, having no hope without God in the world. So he's saying like, yeah, Israel, they were God's chosen people. You guys were separated from that. Okay. That existed. But I mean, the Jewish people took it to the farthest possible extreme. And, and then he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he preached peace to you who are far off peace to those near. We both have access in one spirit to the father, you're no longer strangers and aliens, you're fellow citizens. So mm -hmm. Paul's saying it's actually um, the gospel that breaks down walls of hostility because it doesn't matter if you're uh, black or Asian or indigenous or whatever. He's like, actually, we are one body now. Uh, and then when you get to the end of the book, uh, the picture is every tribe, every nation, every tongue around the throne of God, mm -hmm. worshiping Jesus. It's not, again, what Paul's not saying is like, oh, now we're this kind of homogenized, 
and and uh, ethnicity doesn't matter anymore, and your cultures and customs don't matter anymore. We're all just this beige people. He is no. Mm-hmm. He, every tribe, nation, and tongue, language, culture. But the point is, the dividing walls of hostility don't exist anymore, and we can actually learn from one another. But it's because of Jesus that there is there's no dividing walls anymore. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, it's funny. I had a conversation with someone about that. Um, this was a while ago. Uh, it was online, which is always bad in the comments section. It's like, geez, that doesn't help. Keyboard warrior. Keyboard warrior. But I basically said, like, I struggle with critical race theory and all these ideas of, like, you know, you have to do this and that and this and that. And I'm like, biblically speaking, it's actually the gospel. And he said, oh, like, it sounds like such a excuse to not do anything. And I'm like, no, but if you actually believe the gospel, it really is that it really is that, that the Holy spirit actually changes your heart. And then I don't look at people as worse than me or better than me. It's like, Mm. you are, you're my brother. You're my sister in Christ. doesn't matter. Like we're actually one We're we're God's creating one body. And so I think that, that there is what I was trying to say earlier is if we're living (laughs) when you were using Buffalo and (laughs) When, when we uh, live peaceably with one another, that means that we will actively care for one another. It's not a passive thing. Like the, the people that are like, well, I didn't do it, so I don't care. It's like, man, if, if you talk to anyone about your own issues and they said, well, it didn't happen to me, I don't care nobody sure. would care for anyone. And I don't mm-hmm. think that's a Christian way of living yeah. at all. So if you're a follower of Christ... When we engage with stuff like this, I think it means we listen to the stories, we hear the stories, we bear each other's burdens, we recognize the wrong, the sin that had happened. And then and we conform people to the way we worship. And if they don't... <laughs> those I'll, are your I'll, words, not my own. I'll challenge a thought. And sure. I, and I've not, sure. not presented it yet. So <laughs> on the RCMP opening, grand opening, yeah, yeah. you were there, you were invited as the RCMP totally. chaplain. You mentioned something afterwards. There were some opening prayers and there was a elder from... yeah a local uh, nation and you said she prayed and you were a bit just maybe not taken back, but just a thought in a moment like, wow, I, that sounds like a pretty genuine yeah. and, and God fearing prayer. Totally. Um, but I would bet to wait, like I would offer a wager that somewhere inside there might've been a pre, like maybe not a preconceived or like a, a thought through filter, but just something that maybe caused that, millisecond pause to be like that's not what i expected yeah totally and that's fair and and it's quite common because again through this conversation with this guy i'm like i've been to a contextualized christian jesus following church that was completely indigenous Mm -hmm. it was wild like even for me like there were drums there were singing there was nothing it was in a circle yeah it was really neat and like we had talked about that a little bit i'm like I mix sound here on the live stream and often I'll start, I'll, I'll mute everyone and I'll start with drums. Well, guess what? Janelle Hayden on those things sounded exactly like that contextualized church. Do I think they should have had some other instruments? Yeah, that would have been awesome, but it's not that culture. Yeah, totally. But I didn't feel impressed. I, I felt awkward, but I didn't feel like, well, this is wrong, but that is a tendency even for myself totally. when I first started exploring even culture. It's like, I don't yeah, recognize so, it, so yeah. it's wrong. Yeah. So, I yeah, what Paul's not saying is, you must now conform conform your culture. Cause I even, I used the example of Hudson Taylor in a sermon, right? That was that. And it was, I think it was evil, but that was the missions 
world in the 1800s and the early 1900s. We're going to go share the gospel and just what you said, and then we're going to civilize them. Yeah. So the missionaries would go to China and go, these guys are uh, cannibals and they're uncivilized. And so Hudson Taylor was one of the pioneers who said, this is dumb. I'm going to dress like them and I'm going to grow my hair like them and I'm just going to live among their culture and share Jesus mm-hmm. with them. Yeah. Uh, when I went to Africa, the worship is uh, much different over sure. there. Uh, again, a lot of drums and... Uh, Chanting probably. Dancing uh, yeah, probably. and dancing around. And yeah. for us, like, oh, dancing in church and like dancing, like a lot of hip movements, a mm-hmm. lot of like dancing. And, uh, and yet I didn't... I actually, it's funny. I didn't struggle with that being like, this is wrong. I was like, man, I have, ne- this is cool. I've never, we don't do that over here mm-hmm. in our Mennonite brethren church. Sure. Like if people got up and swayed their hips, they'd be like sinners. Right. But it's just, that's how they worship God. And there wasn't anything sinful about it. Um, so I think, yeah, it's not when Paul says like, oh yeah, uh, God's created one body. It's not one body like how I think the culture should be. It's one body based on the gospel that is expressed differently in different cultures, right? I think about my my dad, like we grew up in South America. Church looked really different in South America than it does here. Um, and I think we can learn stuff from the African church and the South American church and the indigenous church. Like, And I, it's funny because, yeah, part of our conversation is like, Every group does it well, and every group has subsections that do it very poorly. Totally, and like we can see that in our own community, in in what we would call an evangelical church, we would we would probably not recommend certain gatherings, not for any other reason than it's just not the way we believe that we interact with God. Sure, which sounds even harsh, vocalizing it, but. You know, the indigenous church is very much the same way. There's only about three in North America fully contextualized indigenous churches. Okay, well, I didn't know that. Yeah, they were started by a guy named Casey Church, funny enough. But he's an author and a doctor in New Mexico. And he uh, was teaching at Tyndale Seminary when I was there. And he did Hmm. contextualized worship. And it was like really, really neat. And he would talk about how the Navajo for for centuries would worship their creator. Yeah. And it was beautiful because he talks about for their creation story, like so many others, what was God doing in that story? And one of the most transformational books I've ever read was Finding God in the Singing River. I've referenced it before hmm. where it was like for centuries, this this village had this creation story. And it wasn't until this guy as an adult um, remembered the story of his people about great sacrifice, one tribe surrendering themselves for another to to offer greater health for the community when he was exposed to the gospel, it just clicked. It's like, oh my goodness, this makes sense. Yeah. The sacrificial lamb, Christ dying for our sins. I remember that story. Mm-hmm. It wasn't Jesus and the story of the Israelites creation story because yep. that's different. Yeah. But he was able to realize like, wow, that that Israelite creation story matches mine. And I believe that Jesus yep. is my savior. And it's amazing how the creator of the universe speaks to each of these cultures yep. in a way that reveals himself. And that's the missionary's greatest downfall is going somewhere and saying, I'm going to show you what God is doing. Hmm. <laughs> like, wait a minute. You go there and you're like, God, what are you doing with these people? How can I mm-hmm. be a part of their creation? Sorry, revealing the savior, revealing yeah. Jesus Christ. And that is, I think, um, when it's done right, quite beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's the gospel that transcends 
every culture. I mean, it was one of the coolest experiences of my life was we, we in Zambia drove out to a village that literally like this, oh, Corlin's got to go. Okay, say goodbye in the microphone. Bye. He's got to go to work, provide for his family. Um, buy a new windshield. Buy a new windshield. Um, but yeah, maybe I'll end with this. But like the coolest, uh, yeah, we drove out into the middle of Zambia and a village that literally it's just huts and they don't speak English. And then they had built this little chapel and then we worshiped with them in this chapel. And then they asked me, cause you're the pastor guy, like, can you p- preach? And was not prepared for that. Yeah, I just brought soccer balls. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know what to say. So, uh, I remember I just preached like a really simple gospel message and the guy translated it into their dialect. And it was just, it was such a good reminder. Like it's Jesus that transcends culture. I don't even speak your language. Right. And I p- preach and then uh, buddy standing next to me translates and you just share the gospel that Jesus loves them and died for them and they can have peace and hope. And and that was the early church. Like yeah, that totally. model that you just described was the gathering Yep. for hundreds of years. Totally. And that is like, yeah, that sounds very authentic. Yeah, totally. Very real. So hopefully that's been, I don't know, helpful or interesting. I've enjoyed it. (laughs) And uh, yeah, if you do have uh, more questions, talk to Cam because don't talk to me. Uh, I actually really appreciated the the quick history lesson. I think that's helpful because a lot of people just, I don't know, react to things without realizing all the history behind it, I guess. And I think, yeah, wrong was done. Terrible things were done. Um, and it, no one's, no one's knocking on your door saying you're going to make it right. But I think it's fair to just appreciate what, you know, what someone is dealing with. And I think of Lucy's friend who I think I met at that party. Yeah. Um, her family will have different struggles than yours in the community of Fort St. John. And very common pushback is like, you know, there's all these cultural centers or, or, or days, uh, you know, designated to certain people groups. Um, dominant races or cultures don't need cultural days. And, <laughs> yeah, okay. and it's so simple, but in every country in the world, you won't go to Singapore and have Singapore Day. Like it, right. is, the, it is the dominant culture of the geographic region sure so it's celebrated every day <laughs> yeah right um and i think the, you know that's a yeah that's a pushback there's if there were a white cultural center <laughs> we would get in all sorts of trouble it's like that is walmart <laughs> <laughs> terrible but you know that's what i mean like and i would love to have you know and this was really and i grew up hating my culture i yeah, grew up right thinking it was demonized for the longest time because my family was evangelized and brought, didn't go to the reserve and grew up in an Anglican church and then in an evangelical church Mm -hmm. uh, that was charismatic. But I just grew up with this notion that everything indigenous was evil. Right. Yeah. And even now I struggle, like I don't have a desire to, to hit a drum myself. Sure. But when I watch someone doing it, I think, well, that's an interesting reflection of your culture like yeah, totally. i don't think it's wrong or you're chanting to satan like when you you know when you're praying um and so i think that just reconciliation is combating ignorance i think yeah that's and just good. and just allowing yourself to learn about people yeah and not try to whitewash 
everyone. Yeah. Cultures are important and people are important. They're all, like you said, made in the image of God. So why wouldn't we want to better understand their victories, their struggles, and them as people? Oh, that's good. Great ending. So this has been episode 116. And uh, as always, if you have questions or topics you want us to cover, just let us know and uh, we'll talk to you next time.